You are listening to episode 1539 of the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. If you regularly enjoy hearing the voice of guests as they join me for engaging discussions about their passions while you pursue your own, visit the Contribute tab at thepermaculturepodcast.com to see how you can help the show keep going and growing. Today I look at my recent visit to the Mother Earth News Fair in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. As I was only able to attend the event for one day, I didn't grab any live interviews this time around. Rather, I spent my time looking at the exhibitors on display, talked with folks along the way, and sat down to catch up with Trad Cotter at the end of the day. Last year, when I attended this event with photographer John and his assistant Lane, the focus of the fair was squarely on farm and family. This year, the tone had plenty on farming and agriculture, but also included more related to the small-scale homestead, prepping, and off-grid living. Though I don't cover those last two topics much on the show, having more of a social permaculture and rewilding bent as of late, those are the places I came from when I first discovered ecological design and was looking for ways to weather the potential for both systemic and small-scale disasters. So when I saw many of the exhibitors for this year, a couple in particular grabbed my eye. The first was LT Wright Handcrafted Knives. Whatever we do, wherever we go, having a good, sharp edge on hand is useful for a number of tasks, even if our everyday work is removed from field or forest. We cut food for dinner, we open packages, cut string, trim threads, peel fruits and vegetables. As you spend more time wandering, you're likely to use a knife to prepare game, break down large pieces of wood into kindling or tinder, or shape materials into useful tools. Whether a folder in your pocket, a fixed blade on your hip, or a chef's in the kitchen block, Having a dependable knife or several on hand is invaluable for making tasks easier around the house and homestead. I almost always have at least two knives on me because of this in my years as a Boy Scout. And I like the work of LT because he's making some of the most durable knives available. I know that from my personal experience, as I own a Woodsman Pro made from his first knife company, Blind Horse Knives. If you're in the line for a good knife, definitely check out his site, ltwrightknives.com. Another item in the preparedness vein are the range of solar rechargeable flashlights and lanterns from Hybrid Light. From what they had on display, the piece that stood out was their Journey 160. And that 160 is because it's a 160 lumen flashlight that is waterproof and provides 12 hours of light and includes a 5 volt 2 amp USB port that you can use to recharge most cell phones and some tablets. Now, I'm not a techno-optimist, and feel that technology is going to spare us from the decisions that our culture has made over the years, or to be able to rely on technology in the long run. But at the same time, I don't see it going away anytime soon. And products like this can provide a sense of normality in time of crisis as part of our planning and preparing and designing for disasters, such that it allows our family to see in the dark but also to recharge some of the common features of modern life and use them to maintain what we're used to during short-term disasters, such as a weather-related power outage. But looking beyond the moment, use of renewables and solar power and devices like this allow us to choose how we transition away from the traditional grids of civilization and prepare for a smooth, soft, hopefully, energy descent. The Lumen 160 and the rest of that range of products are at hybridlight.com. The next exhibitor to catch my eye was Container Homes of Maryland, which happens to hail from my hometown of Hagerstown. 
This company is taking shipping containers and converting them into tiny homes. What stood out for me is that they are offering turnkey off-grid solutions. The model on display during the fair used a 20-foot container and provided just under 150 square feet of living space. This included a closet, a bathroom with stand-up shower and composting toilet, a kitchen area with a sink, two-burner gas stove, and a small refrigerator-freezer. On the wall hung a high-efficiency mini-split air conditioner and heat pump, there's a two-person dining bar, and a built-in full-size bed. As part of the display, they also had two solar panels out front, which were actually charging the included power system. To reduce the need for electricity and lights, there was also a large skylight installed over the kitchen living room area. When the representative John Gandy was showing me around, he turned all the lights off so that I could see the effectiveness of this feature, but he also saw me cringe at the thought of a skylight. In my world and from my background and experience, skylights leak, and there's usually not much you can do about that, especially when they're installed through a metal roof. John could tell that I was a little nervous about something like this, so went on to describe how they installed this giant, covered hole in the roof, which they accomplished by creating a three-layer roof system that fully secures and seals the skylight in place. That off-grid application is enhanced because they include the six solar panels plus batteries for energy storage, as well as water collection, filtration, and storage systems. You can be completely off-grid with everything you need based on this 20-foot design. They'll deliver it to you and drop it on site. The same model placed on a foundation and tied to the grid is 35000 If you need more space, they offer a grid-tied 40-foot model for 60000 though they do not have an off-grid model for this size at the moment due to the extra requirements for heating, cooling, and resource storage. As a custom container home builder, they are also able to design and build to suit your specific needs and environment. They can be found at containerhomesofmaryland.com. Going with that idea of being off-grid and supplying your own energy, I also spent some time talking with the folks from Three Rivers EVA, a chapter of the Electric Auto Association. In addition to all of the electric and plug-in hybrids on display, including a pair of Tesla sedans, which one of the members said he charges regularly from his roof-mounted home solar system, there was also an e-bike making trips around the fairgrounds, which is where I spotted the bright yellow frame and big tires rolling along. The model that the Three Rivers members showed was from Sondors, and was rather popular from all the people who gathered around it, including myself, and also the smiles that I saw from the people who rode it. Joining the circle, the owner shared some information about the bike, which I was then able to fill in from some research on the web. It uses a 36-volt battery and a 350-watt motor mounted in the rear hub, which gives the bike a capability of speeds up to 20 miles an hour and a range of 30 to 50 miles. Though the MSRP is around $1,200, the owner of this particular bike paid a bit over $1,000 shipped from finding one on eBay, and he pointed me to the Sondor site to find more, and they're currently running a crowdfunding campaign on a new model, allowing anyone to purchase a bike for a total price of $693, the base being $499 for the bike and $194 for shipping. Compared to the cost of a new moped or scooter, even the full retail price of this bike is, seems like a pretty good value. Tack on the cost of a small solar system at your home, and you have a vehicle that costs very little to operate over the initial investment, and is just right for a short commute, or heading around town when the distances are a little too far to walk. And I also think that this bike kind of fills the gulf between a cruiser to do short trips on, and something that is fully powered all the time, giving you choices between pedaling, if you'd like, and not using the motor, using the motor for a boost, or 
depending on how you're feeling, just letting the battery power your entire journey. After seeing all the smiles when people saw this particular bike and interacted with the owner asking questions, I see e-bikes like this and other innovations in this sphere of transportation as a viable way to bridge the gap where many might use a car, but not see a road bike as the way to get from one place to another, and also to provide security for those who would still like to use a bike, but for whatever reason, no longer feel comfortable doing so over a longer distance. Even the area where I live, that is relatively rural and about 20 minutes from everywhere, something like this e-bike would meet the majority of my regular personal commuting needs in the area. Even if it was to use my vehicle to get me to a centralized location and then be able to run all my errands from there, or to get to some of the places where I regularly head to. Once I was done touring through all those exhibition spaces, both inside and outside, I wandered up to browse the bookstore at Mother, and there a listener, Eric, saw my badge and said hello. While we chatted for a few minutes, he mentioned his daughter was showing her rabbits at the fair, down in the animal husbandry tent. So I went down and visited Elizabeth, and we talked about what it was like breeding American rabbits, and helping this heritage breed to recover from being at risk of going away. A delightful, knowledgeable young woman. When Elizabeth handed me her card, I realized we live fairly close to one another. So sometime this fall, I want to grab photographer John and go record a live interview with her. At the moment, she would be the youngest guest to appear by themselves on the show. And thanks to ongoing conversations with Jen Mendez at Permi Kids, I would like to include more young adults and teenagers on the podcast. If you know someone who falls into that category and is doing good work that would benefit the permaculture community, let me know so I can get in touch with them. As I'm now 36, one other person who is younger than I am that I ran into at Mother is a member of my local permaculture community, William Padilla Brown. A budding mycologist quickly expanding his knowledge of how to identify, grow, and process mushrooms, he runs a business, Mycosymbiotics, in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, and is producing not only mushroom spawn, but also running a number of workshops and classes. He's one to watch, including his YouTube channel Apex Grower, as I expect in a few years to hear some interesting developments coming out of his work and what he's doing in the world. Speaking of mushrooms brings us back around to Trad Cotter, the mycologist and researcher who runs Mushroom Mountain in South Carolina, and is the author of the excellent book from Chelsea Green on all things fungi, organic mushroom farming, and mycoremediation. I caught the end of his lecture on medicinal mushrooms, where he was teaching people how to do ethanol-based mushroom extractions and answering listener questions, while talking about the developments that he revealed to us last year on how he could use mycelium to create medicines against human pathogens. And that relates to his revelation that he shared with me this year, in that he has discovered a mycelial metabolite capable of killing methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, better known as MRSA, one of the most difficult infections that we face in the healthcare system right now. And here's a way to generate a material to kill it. How incredible is that? If you'd like to learn more about that, let me know and I'll get in touch with Trad and we'll sit down and have another conversation here in the near future. And if you get a chance, go to an upcoming Mother Earth News Fair and meet the people and exhibitors in attendance. Check out some lectures workshops, and demonstrations. There are a ton of opportunities to expand your knowledge and inspiration at these events. The next one is coming up in Topeka, Kansas, October 24th through the 25th, 2015, and then to Belton, Texas, February 20th through the 21st, 2016, and there are links to those fairs in the show notes. 
You can also expect to find me in Seven Springs next year, sometime in September if the schedule for Mother holds. Along the way and until those events, if there's any way I can help you on your journey, get in touch. Give me a call, 717-827-6266, or email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. You can also join in the conversations at Facebook, facebook.com slash thepermaculturepodcast, or by following me on Twitter where I am, at permaculturecst. Next up, on Thursday, October 1st, Jason Gadeski joins me to discuss collaborative storytelling, culture, and myth-making in the context of his role-playing game, The Fifth World. Until then, spend each day creating the world you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. <laughs>